everyone. Welcome back to episode 15 of Reading with Grace. Today is my one year anniversary since I started making podcasts. So one year ago, I made the decision to start making podcasts and reading to people because I absolutely loved reading out loud and I wanted to do this. I thought it was a really cool idea. So today I started my mysterious Benedict Society read aloud podcast a year ago. And I'm just so proud of how far I've come and all of you that listen. It just makes my world brighter and gives me so much joy. So thank you for all the love and support and helping me accomplish this. It's truly amazing and I can't wait to see what happens going forward. Okay, today we'll be picking up from chapter 18, but first a recap of chapters 11 through 17. Mr. Today told Alex how he created Simber and brought him to life, but when Alex asked how, Mr. Today said he wouldn't tell him. Alex started rethinking about Mr. Today's job and how he might change his mind about taking it. Meanwhile, in Quill, Aaron is starting to think like a necessary and gets food from his own creation, the favored farm. He also realized there is no one living in the Haluki's house, and when no one is looking, moves himself in. Aaron finds a glass tube, but doesn't know what it is. There was a bit of a skirmish in Artime involving two men from Quill trying to force necessaries back to work for them, but it was soon put to a stop. Lonnie invented a new spell called Seek that shoots a ball of light to a person of the caster's choice to alert them. Alex told his friends what he's been discussing with Mr. Today, and Lonnie has an unexpected reaction to it. Enjoy the episode! Eighteen, Throwing Stones It took Sam Heed quite some time to find Lonnie after checking the mansion and ringing her blackboard to see if she was in her room. He jogged by the gate and asked the Dorinos if they'd seen her, but they only said they'd seen Seen Ranger and a few others had left Artemay that day. Eventually, he saw her outside by the shore. The sea was fairly calm today and Lonnie was skipping stones over the water and letting the low waves wash up over her bare feet. Her toenails were painted fluorescent purple. He walked over and stood next to her, not saying anything at first. He spied a few spoons, so he picked them up and wiped the sand off them to see if they were good for throwing. When he had a handful, he offered them to Lonnie. These look like they might skip, he said. Thanks, she said. She took them and gave one a try. It skidded over the water and she counted. Seven, not bad. Sam Heed found a few more and tried one himself. He bounced once and plopped into the water with a glug. Twist your arm a little, she said, like it's a throwing star. He did what she said and managed three skips. Meh, he said. I was never very good at this. You're dead on with spells, though. Sam Heed nodded. True. When he was out of stones, he wiped the sand off his hands, took off his shoes, and rolled up his pant legs. Want to walk? he asked. He started walking slowly toward the jungle. After a moment, Lonnie caught up to him. They sloshed through the water side by side in silence for a while, Sam Heed just thinking, watching the sand that stretched out immediately before him, and Lonnie, with her eyes half-closed, face angled toward the sky. When they got past the jungle to the lagoon where Miss Morning's big white boat gleamed, Sam Heed pointed to an old domed log. I sit here sometimes, he said. Only when the platter parts aren't around, though. They're so annoying. Lonnie grinned and sat down. I know, she said. Sam Heed sat next to her. Are you ever tempted to give that boat a try? Every time I see it, Lonnie said. You? Yeah. They watched the water for a bit longer, and then Sam Heed spoke again. So, did you kill Justine? Lonnie looked at him in surprise. What? Where did you get that from? She said with a little laugh. Well, did you? Sam had asked. You did, didn't you? She looked away, trying to hide a grin, and then she shrugged one shoulder and tilted her head, looking out over the water. 
Sam, he regarded her for a moment, his esteem for her rising mightily, not only because she had the guts to kill the high priest Justine, but that she managed to keep it to herself all this time. Well, you saved Mr. Today's life, she said. She leaned toward him and bumped her shoulder against his. Sam Heed's eyes flickered, and for a time on the log in the small and quiet lagoon, next to the vast ocean that seemed to go on forever, the two, each silently remembering the parts that were played in the battle with Quill, felt something enormous swell up inside them as they considered what might have happened with the courage of the other. Lonnie slid a glance his way and he caught it, and couldn't help but share her a little crooked smile. But soon the moment passed, and before things could get awkward, Sam Heed shifted on the log and looked out over the water once again. So, what's bothering you? he asked, even though he knew he thought was the answer. Lonnie's smile faded. She clasped her hands together in front of her and slipped her arms around her legs, resting her chin on her knees. Nothing much, really. Oh, right. That was obvious from the way you stormed out of the lounge, looking like you were going to hurl, Sam Heat said. Was it really? Lonnie said sarcastically. She rolled her eyes, but Sam couldn't see it. I think you're required to tell me since I've been so nice for, like, a whole hour. That is quite an accomplishment. So, Sam Heat asked, come on, don't make me beg. Lonnie closed her eyes for a moment and took a deep breath. Okay, fine. I just, I wasn't expecting Alex to say that about Mr. Today and the whole future leader thing. Sam Heed nodded, careful not to interrupt her. I mean, Alex is great and I, you know, I really like him and stuff. But isn't there anyone else who might be a better choice? A stronger magician with more rounded skills? Somebody who would make a better teammate for Quill's new high priest? Somebody who could really work in harmony with him. Someone who understands him really well. And who could make this whole island really gel together. Somebody who really actually wants this job? Sam Heed cringed and stayed silent. Lonnie sat up straight and turned to Sam Heed. If Mr. Today is going to pick somebody young, well... She looked out over the lagoon. It should have been me, Sam. Her eyes filled and her bottom lip started to quiver. She held back the tears and swallowed hard. And then she whispered, He was supposed to pick me. Sam, he'd bit his bottom lip and nodded, and then he turned and held out an arm awkwardly. She leaned in and rested her cheek on his shoulder as he patted her on the back. Maybe since Alex doesn't want to do it, you could let Mr. Today know that you're interested, he said. Lonnie just shook her head and sniffled. I can't do that. She lifted her eyes and looked at Sam Heed in the dying light. If he wanted me, he would have picked me. Nineteen. A very different gate. Day after day in his new home, Aaron plotted and planned, working tirelessly from the desk that had once been the high priest Haluki's. He scoured the drawers but came up empty-handed. The high priest had apparently packed up everything of importance and carried it with him to the palace. There was not much to be said for the giant glass cylinder in the closet behind him. It was the most curious thing, but seemingly useless, and there was no instructions or clues to hint at its purpose. It didn't take long for Aaron to forget about it entirely. Every morning before sunrise, Aaron snuck out of the house and walked to the favored farm, careful to take a different path each day, listening to people's conversations while trying to be invisible. He noted that almost no wanteds were taking advantage of the food at the favored farm. They were so unfamiliar with that kind of labor, he was sure they hadn't even thought of it. All their lives they'd had necessaries delivering their food to them. They probably had no idea where food even came from. Every day, Aaron picked his four allotted items, sticking out of things that would keep fresh for more than a few days. Beans of all kinds, he was glad to find the element for the berries and lugamums, was a handful rather than just one. Potatoes and onions, oranges, coconuts. He ate the foods that were about to go bad and kept the rest in the pantry. Each week he set out his empty water buckets and they would fill without question. Perhaps in the chaos the Halukis hadn't been removed from the water list. Or maybe there was no official list. 
When the water people came by with their cart, they simply filled the empty buckets. That was most likely the case here in the wanted sector. Aaron went over his thoughts and ideas every night and envisioned himself back in the palace. It would be a long journey, and if he really thought about it, he knew his chances of success were small. So he chose only to press onward, not to think about it too much, and try not to mess it up. If all went well, it would still take years. Early on the morning that his plan would take action, Aaron packed his book bag with a few handful of beans and a dozen oranges. He stuck out of the house before dawn and made his way up the road to the palace gate, just as morning broke. He found a spot by the road to sit where the giant wall would provide him with shade until noon. He waited. Occasionally, a quilletary vehicle lurched by, heading to or from the palace. Aaron turned away from them and tried not to draw attention to himself. He didn't think they'd do anything to him, but he didn't want to find out. It wasn't long before grumbling wanteds walked up the road toward the palace, no doubt to air their grievances. Aaron stayed where he was, straining his ears to hear their conversations. When they glanced at him, he nodded politely but didn't say anything, and they kept walking. Over the next hours, Aaron watched and remained silent as half a dozen more groups made their way to the palace. When the first groups returned, their grumbling was louder than ever. Aaron pulled an orange from his bag and peeled it slowly, watching and listening. We're supposed to live together peacefully? With the unwanteds? That's absurd. Haluki has lost his mind. I fear for the future of Quill. I really do. What does he mean, live in harmony? What's harmony? I want my necessaries back. We'll starve to death if we keep this up. Nobody's brought us a decent meal in weeks. The voices faded. Aaron popped a slice of the orange into his mouth and closed his eyes, letting the delicious juice trickle down his teeth and around his tongue. He chewed and swallowed, and then he opened his eyes to find an elderly woman staring at him. Oh, hello, he said. Where did you get that orange? Aaron wasn't about to tell her. Would you like some? He tore half of it away and handed it to her. How was your visit with the high priest? Any news? She eyed him warily. You're that boy, she began, but the orange overpowered her thoughts. She reached for it. Thank you, she said, her words sharp and clipped, but she tore into the orange and tried not to devour it in one mouthful. There hasn't been much food delivery lately. Aaron nodded sympathetically. I know. He handed her the remaining slice. What does the high priest say about it all? I'm sure he's doing everything he can to get our necessaries back. Aaron looked off into the distance nonchalantly, but he was more than eager for a specific amount from the palace. The woman frowned. He's not doing anything of the sort. All he can talk about is peace, she spat. That's all fine with me as long as everyone knows their place. But High Priest Haluki sees no problem with necessaries flocking Artemain staying there, and that's where I have to disagree. Aaron gave her a concerned look. But, he said as if he were just thinking of it, who is going to do the necessaries jobs if they don't come back? Isn't he going to force them to return? His eyes flamed. We'll all starve to death. Exactly, the woman said. We'll die. Others returning from the palace slowed to listen, including two governor's sons, whom Aaron knew as Crawlage and Prize. They recognized Aaron at first, regarded him with contempt, but soon focused and sat on the orange slices in the woman's hand. What kind of leader lets his workers go free and his best people starve? Aaron asked in a voice of wonderment, loud enough for everyone in sight to hear. The high priest Justine wouldn't have let this happen. He shook his head. The small group of people nodded, some still skeptical of the speaker, but most were wild up enough to band together with anyone who thought the same thoughts as they. I wonder, Aaron said, but then he stopped and looked at the people. Well, I shouldn't say anything. High Priest Haluki and the Quilitary have decided my ideas are worthless. He bent down to pick up his backpack as if to leave. What ideas? the original woman asked. I suppose if you have some, wouldn't hurt to hear them. Aaron shook his head sadly. No, it's nothing. I'm not to be trusted. He reached into his backpack and silently ordered out oranges to everyone standing there. I have some beans as well. I'm happy to share with everyone, as the former high priest would have expected. 
Even the most reluctant one stepped closer to Aaron now as he gave handfuls of beans to those standing there. I do miss the way the things were, one of them ventured softly, as if afraid to be heard. The high priest Justine was a noble woman. Aaron nodded solemnly. Indeed she was. He smiled sympathetically at each face. All we can do now is try to survive until someone comes to save us, I guess. He touched the shoulder of the old woman. I'll be here again in a week from today. If I have found any extra food, I'll gladly share again. With that, Aaron turned and walked away from the palace and the group of complainers, who were now silent and thoughtful as they looked down at the treasure in their hands, then up at the young former up-and-comer who had given them the means to survive. As Aaron walked toward the favored farm to pick his daily food, contemplating just how well his work had gone that morning, his thoughts were disturbed by the approaching steps in the gravel, and a familiar voice had sent shivers up his spine. "'Greetings, Aaron.' Aaron looked up, his eyes overwhelmed by the bright colors of the man's robe and his crazy shock of hair. Aaron scowled and slowed his pace, ready to defend himself if he needed to, but Mr. Jaday merely smiled brightly and kept walking toward the palace. Twenty, Writing Past Wrongs Marcus today entered the gray palace office of the high priest Haluki for their weekly peace meeting. Hello, Gunnar. I brought you something, he said with a smile. He reached into his pocket of his robe and produced a tiny gargoyle statue. When he set it on the high priest's desk, it grew to the size of a cat. It blinked a few times and yawned, covering its mouth politely, its ears perking up. A sharp horn made Haluki think twice about patting it on the head. With a flourish, Mr. Today said, This is Matilda, an extra set of eyes and ears for you. She communicates instantaneously with her counterpart Charlie back in Artemis. They'll be good to have around in case of trouble. How lovely, said Haluki. I think I've seen them before wandering around Artemis down by the gate. Thank you. We could all use the help we can get. They tend to roam, but you mustn't worry about her. Matilda can take care of herself, Mr. Today said, chuckling. You may wish to warn others not to get too close. I shall do that. She won't hurt you, however. For that, I am ever grateful, murmured Haluki solemnly, looking at the statue. Matilda nodded regally as if she had just taken over the high priest of the land. Mr. Today taught his friend Gunnar a few hand signals that he could use to communicate with Matilda, and gave him the book that contained many more for him to study, and then he ran his fingers through his hair. So, how are things? The high priest smiled, but his eyes had deep circles under them. Marcus, all I can say is it's tremendously good to see a friendly face. Mr. Today sat in a chair as Matilda slid off the edge of the desk, hung on for a brief moment, and dropped to the floor to explore. Tough going? Yes. The wanches have been streaming in every day with complaints. They're having such a difficult time figuring out how to care for themselves. The concept of picking fruit and vegetables appears to be beyond their realm of understanding. They want their slaves back. I don't blame them, Mr. Today said with a laugh. What I wouldn't give to hand a few slaves feeding me berries and carrying out my least favorite duties. Alas, they'll learn eventually. They aren't called intelligent for nothing. They'll figure it out right before they starve. And... Well, I've hesitated greatly to make any drastic changes to Quill, wanting instead to ease slowly into my new society. My first major improvement is that I've let my governors go. We've been in constant dissent that don't trust me, I don't trust them, and they don't share my vision for Quill. Hmm, Mr. Diddy said. You'll pick a new team, though, won't you? Yes, absolutely. I need to first figure out whom I can trust. I hope I haven't made a mistake. It would be a mistake to keep the advisor that you've hid many things from in the past, Gunnar. You are creating a new quill now. You need new support. I think we'll work out well in the end. Gunnar smiled. I hope you're right. Still, I'm eager to make changes. Free the ancients. Open up the walls to the ocean. Teach the wanteds how to fend for themselves. But I feel I must handle the complaints and gain trust first. Each step feels like climbing a mountain. 
He shifted in his chair. How are things in Artemay? Slightly chaotic, but entirely manageable. Mr. Jade considered telling Gunnar about the recent skirmish, but then decided the high priest had enough on his mind. Good. Huzuki relaxed back in his chair. Have you anything on the peace agenda today? I think it's a bit too soon to plan a friendly island-wide picnic and sports tournament. His eyes shone with mirth. Mr. Jade smiled. I do indeed, he said. I've been thinking a lot lately, and I have a question for you. I will do my very best to answer it. Mr. Jade leaned forward. About how many Quillians would you say remain alive from the original founders? Or did Justine, uh, get rid of them all? Gunnar closed his eyes, thinking. He tapped his finger against his chin as he counted silently. There are six, he said after a moment. Four are in the ancient sector. The other two barely escaped that fate due to Justine's death. Mr. Duday nodded. And would you say that they are with you or against you? Can you tell? Hmm, the high priest mused. They are across the board with their loyalties. The majority, I'd say, were devoted to Justine. But I imagine sometimes things change when one is ordered to die. I'll say, muttered Mr. Jaday. Well, truth be told, Gunnar, I've got something eating at me and I feel a need to make it right. I'm wondering what you think. Sounds intriguing, Halugi said. He glanced at his door to confirm that they had privacy. Mr. Jaday nodded. You of all people know about my many mistakes over the years, and I've done my best to fix things, but there's one error that remains. It's something that if nothing were done to the wrong party, they should never know the difference. And if they're told of my wrongdoing, it could raise some hackles, perhaps cause more serious problems for the both of us, for the short term anyway. But I will always have this mistake plaguing me, and that is the problem. I've stolen something that doesn't belong to me, and no matter the outcome, I feel I must make things right. High Priest Saluki listened carefully as Mr. Today explained everything. When he was finished, the High Priest nodded. Whatever the outcome, it's the right thing to do. We should call them together as a group and do it at once, don't you think? Haluki smiled. I'll have my drivers gather them immediately. Within the hour, the six remaining original founders of Quill sat in the high priest's palace, wondering what in Quill could have happened to cause them to be sprung from their various homes and from the ancient sector. It had been decades since they'd seen Marcus. They peered at the high priest and Mr. Today, some of them still sharp, others not quite all there, but all of them fairly able-bodied. Two visits to the palace in one day, grumbled one woman. Maybe you finally come around to feeding us, High Priest. I've already told you how to find food, Miss Rattrap, Gunnar said. Three men sat silent, along with a woman who kept nodding off in her chair. A final woman sat rigid. She glanced around the office, noting Matilda with narrowed eyes, but she remained silent. Mr. Today stood before them. Friends, he said, you don't remember coming to Quill, nor do you remember the water that surrounds the land, or the homes and people you left to be here. He looked around to gauge their reactions before continuing. You also don't remember the magical abilities you all have. Then that's my fault. Justine and I took those memories from you many years ago. He watched them. The two alert women were the only ones who had any reaction at all. Slow motion shock registered on their faces, along with a large dose of confusion. He was using words they hadn't heard before. But I'm going to give you back your memories now. I'm so terribly sorry. I hope you can forgive me. I understand if you cannot. He lifted his hand and then paused when he caught their eye, the rigid, silent woman. It looked like she wanted to say something. Yes, Mr. Today asked gently. Will I remember my name? She whispered. Mr. Today nodded. Yes, my dear secretary. You'll have your name right now. He waved his hand over the group. The four from the ancient sector appeared slightly puzzled but largely unaffected. The grumbling wanted woman face turned red and she looked furious. And the woman named secretary burst into tears.
21. On the Lawn Mr. Today walked the long route back to Artemay as he liked to do now, giving himself time alone to think about all the things that had just transpired. When he arrived in the lawn at sunset, he saw Alex, Megan, Cole Wicked, and Sam Heed sitting by the water. He sat down with them. It's a beautiful sky tonight, he said, gazing over the water to where the islands could just be fairly seen if one knew where to look. How are things going? Are you managing studies along with your new duties, helping the necessaries? Oh, yes, Megan said, always chipper in front of the mage, even when she didn't feel like it inside. Things are going well. She smiled sweetly at Mr. Today, remembering the first time they'd sat together on this long, back when he had turned a flower into a music box. It felt like ages ago, though it had only been a year and a half. It's still funny to realize all the things we didn't used to know, she laughed, if that makes any sense. Cole sat up straight. It makes sense to me, he said, fairly toppling over with admiration for every word that left Megan's lips. Megan didn't seem to notice Cole's attentions as she continued her update, but Sam he looked away in disgust. Alex squelched a grin. Once Lonnie had pointed out the love triangle, he'd been watching them closely and found it hilarious that Megan seemed entirely unaware of her suitors. Alex elbowed Sam Heed. Lighten up, he muttered, and then he said for all to hear, Where's Lonnie? She's been scarce for days. Sam Heed shrugged. Probably working on something. Who knows? He shifted uneasily, knowing Lonnie was avoiding Alex and turning his attention back to Mr. Today. And where's Seen? Alex didn't seem to get the picture. Sam Heed shrugged and put a finger to his lips, then pointed to Mr. Today. Well, that's wonderful, Megan, Mr. Today was saying. He got to his feet. Alex, I'll see you tomorrow as usual. The rest of you, thank you for your generous contributions to our necessary guests. It means the world to me. Alex joined the others in a round of goodbyes, but wondered secretly about Mr. Today wanted to continue meeting with him when he clearly wasn't the leader Mr. Today was looking for. Did you tell him? Sammy asked Alex after Mr. Today was gone. Yes, about five times. Why do you keep meeting with him then? I have no idea, Alex sighed. I mean, I said I'd help out, so maybe that's why. Did you ever think about suggesting a different leader? Alex laughed. Who, you? No, Sammy scowled. I don't want to do it either. Then who? I don't know. Don't you think there's someone you know pretty well who would be a good partner for High Priest Haluki? Well, sure, Bonnie. But she seems mad that I said no. She hasn't said five words to me since I told you guys about it. So I don't think she'd want it or she'd have said something. Sammy'd flopped back on the grass and stared at the stars. They were just beginning to pop out for the evening. He sighed and muttered, Why does everything have to be so complicated? You're asking me? Alex said. The next afternoon, Alex made his way as usual to Mr. Today's office. When he stepped inside, he stopped abruptly. There he found Miss Morning dressed in riding droppers, a vest, and a cap. Her long, honey-colored hair was missed as if she had been out in the wind, and Alex wondered idly if Mr. Today had randomly created horses around Artemay, or if they were just the magical kind that Sam Heed had once used. She shook his look and laughed. Small group training on invisible steeds, she said. Ah, Alex smiled and then noticed a stranger in the room. On the far side of Miss Morning sat a rigid, elderly woman. She startled when she saw Alex, and her face grew fearful. Oh, wow, I'm sorry, Alex said, his face flushing with embarrassment. He took a step backward. Did I get my meeting time wrong? Miss Morning smiled. Not at all, Alex. You're right on time. I think we're all meeting together. She turned to the woman and patted her hand. He's not who you think. This is Aaron Stowe's twin, Alex. The resemblance is startling, isn't it? Yes, the woman said, still worried. Quite. All Eva had ever wanted in life was her job, and a boy who looked exactly like the one facing her had been the one to take it away. Alex Stowe, please meet Eva Fathom. Alex wiped his hands on his pants. he just finished working with chalks and nearly tripped over the chair leg as he walked over and reached his hand out to the woman. 
Good grief, he muttered at his own clumsiness. And then to the woman he said, It's nice to meet you. Thinking about how strange it was that someone here in Artime knew Aaron, but not him. Just then, Mr. Day breezed in. So terribly sorry to be late, he said. I was just checking in with Charlie, as I was a bit worried about how he's doing here without Matilda. But they are in constant communication, so neither is feeling too badly, much to my relief. And both understand their importance in helping us during these uncertain times. How are we all? Have we met? Alex nodded. We've met, Father, but I think we're all waiting for you to explain the connection, Miss Morning said. Ah, Mr. Today said, rubbing his hands together and smiling. Well, Claire, Alex, my dear secretary. Oh, pardon me, my dear Eva. The meeting is somewhat coincidental, as Miss Fathom here is an old friend and a new resident, and I'm excited to welcome her. And incidentally, glad to know your magic has indeed been restored, Eva, because without it, we wouldn't have been able to get into my office. So, well done, he said, extraordinarily pleased. Well done. You and Alex will begin learning more and more about the nuts and bolts that hold this place together, as you've offered to cover things for me while I take a holiday, hum-hum, he said with a little note of pleasure that he couldn't contain. And the delightful Miss Fathom would like to accompany me on my holiday to the nearby islands and visit some old friends, now that she remembers them. It's always nicer to travel with someone, don't you agree? As Miss Morning and Alex had never traveled before, they only nodded politely, keeping their puzzlement at Mr. Today's strange statement to themselves, which people sometimes did with the mage. Miss Morning said, Oh, yes, to acknowledge that they were listening, but it didn't really matter since Mr. Today was talking excitedly now. Now, Alex, you said that you do your best to help out, correct? Alex shifted in his chair. Sure, I guess, he said. Wonderful, Mr. Today said. Well then, Claire, Miss Fathom, will be staying here in Artemay from now on. Will you show her to her room? Eva Fathom, who barely said a word, had that anxious look about her eyes like the most visitors from Quill. It's a large place here, she said now, a bit uncertainly as if doubting her decision to move in. How will I find my room? Never fear, never fear. Your door will magically call out to you. Just don't forget your name and you'll be all right. The old mage grinned cheekily, which after a beat produced a reluctant chuckle from the former secretary to the high priest Justine. All right, she said, warming up a bit. I thank you for your hospitality. Are you sure I'll be accepted here after the position I held? She glanced again at Alex, whose resemblance to Aaron was so strong that she could hardly hold herself from showing him the contempt she felt deep inside. Perfectly accepted, Mr. Today assured her. Alex may look like Aaron, but he is the opposite of his twin, and Alex has none of his twin's drive to take over anything at all, so please don't worry about him. He laughed and held out a hand. Alex felt his smiling lips freeze into position. It was like everything continued around him, Eva Fathom getting up and Miss Morning ushering her out the door, but Alex couldn't move as Mr. Today's words sank in. He knew Mr. Today meant to imply that Alex wasn't an evil person who was trying to take over anyone's position, or land, or community, but the way the words came out in that particular order felt like a fire-breathing origami dragon had attacked and penetrated Alex's chest, taking his breath away. 22. Door Number 1 Mr. Today left the office to accompany Miss Morning and Eva Fathom to the new necessary hallway, where Eva would be staying, giving Alex a few moments alone to recover, at least physically. By the time Mr. Today and Miss Morning had returned, Alex's frozen face had thawed and he coaxed himself into letting the sting go away. After all, it was true, wasn't it? Alex just didn't have the drive to become leader of Artime. Was there something to be ashamed of because of that? Alex didn't think so. He sighed deeply and tried to relax in his chair, prepared to find out what he was supposed to do to help Mr. Today and Miss Morning. But when they returned, Mr. Today didn't sit. Come with me, he said instead, and he turned abruptly, walking back out the door. He hastened up the mostly secret hallway to one of the two doors on the opposite wall. 
He paused dramatically as Alex and Miss Morning caught up to him. This isn't quite as exciting for Miss Morning as she's been in here a time or two, but it's a fascinating place and I think you'll enjoy it, Alex. I call it the Museum of Large. It was a door Alex had often wondered about, one of four doors in this part of the secret hallway that he'd never seen opened, nor anyone entering or exiting. He assumed the two doors on the same side of the hallway as Mr. Today's office were his private living quarters, which made sense to Alex, remembering that Mr. Today had once come through the back wall of the office. But the two on the kitchenette side of the hallway had remained a mystery until now. All negative feelings forgotten, Alex watched eagerly as Mr. Today touched the handle and uttered a spell. Door number one. The door swung open and a low creak Mr. Today stepped aside. Alex walked into the dimly lit room, squinting to see. His footsteps sounded louder than life, as if the room went on for quite a long way, and he could hear things whirring and clicking, and what possibly a distant waterfall or fountain. Miss Morning and Mr. Today entered behind him and closed the door, and just as Alex's eyes began to adjust, Mr. Today commanded light to appear. In an instant, torch-like lamps that were attached to the walls lit up one by one, chasing around the perimeter of what seemed like an endless room, or cave, or... Alex didn't know the name of it. He sucked in a breath as his eyes leaped from one large item to the next. Go on, then, have a look around for a few minutes, Mr. Today said, chuckling. You might want to not touch anything unless you're absolutely sure of what it is. Miss Morning smiled, nearly as eager as Alex. It looked like a place where you could visit a hundred times and still never see everything. Alex looked to the left along the wall. Its length of it is so far as he could see, covered in tall bookshelves. Books overflowed from them, some carelessly so, and none looked like they were in any particular order. There were giant maps and an enormous marble ball with etchings on it, and a ring around it, floating on a bubbling fountain. In a way, the part of the museum at large resembled the Artemy Library, but this seemed more massive yet more intimate at the same time. What are all these books about? Alex was secretly delighted to see them in such disarray. It felt very homey despite the vastness of this room. And how is it possible that this room just goes on forever? It seems like it would bump into one of the other mansion hallways. The books, many of them pinned by me, are about a lot of things. There are also duplicates of most of them in our library. As for the room size, it's magic like the lounge, the theater. It takes up no real physical space, which is why it doesn't encompass the entire upper level of the mansion. Something looming to Alex's right caught his eye and made the boy turn toward it, away from the books. He gasped. Just dozens of steps away was an enormous statue of an elephant-like creature, so large that it nearly touched the ceiling. Alex had seen a picture of elephants in the library, but this one was ridiculously huge and had two long, sharp tusks, along with a smaller pair that gleamed. Alex looked at Mr. Today. Is it alive? he whispered. Mr. Today put his hand on Alex's shoulder. No, sadly, I had to pull the magic from old Tater many years ago. He's a mastodon statue, a prehistoric sort of elephant that I'd seen a picture of once. I thought it'd be useful in moving things around, but I never did get his mind quite right in the creating process. He grew to this size in a matter of days, and soon became violent with the domestic creatures. So I sent him to live in the jungle for a while, but it didn't suit him, and he began to destroy it, uprooting trees and wandering back to the lawn, scaring everyone. He grew quite beyond what I'd ever intended, and he was becoming vastly uncomfortable in his own skin, so to speak. And try as I might, there was nothing I could do to change his disposition. So I had made the mistake, and the rest of Artemis was suffering for it. Mr. Today reached out to pet the beast. He was only tall enough to reach the creature's knee, so he patted that. It was a hard day, but in the end, Tater requested it. He was incredibly unhappy, I could tell. Once the magic was gone from him, I couldn't bear to destroy him completely, so he lives on in here as a little reminder. He was the last statue I made. I just couldn't stand on going through that again, so I stopped creating them. 
Miss Morning gave her father's hand a squeeze. He looked at her, his eyes the tiniest bit shiny with regret. But Alex didn't notice the sentimental exchange. His gaze had already alighted on something new, and his jaw dropped. Standing near the middle of the room, beyond an old refurbished quilletary vehicle and a gray shack that looked eerily familiar, was an enormous pirate ship tilted slightly to its port side. It had three masts with beautiful yet ominous-looking sails and a deep brown wooden hole that shone as if it had been polished endlessly. Magnetized, Alex moved toward it. When he got close, he put his hands on the hole, running his fingers along the smooth wood, and then he cocked his head and stood very quiet for a moment. He turned to Mr. Today. Do you hear that? Mr. Today smiled and touched the hole. Yes, I'm not sure what causes it. It's whispering, like it's coming from inside the boat. Mr. Today nodded. It's done that all along. I've never been able to understand what they're saying. Can you? Alex shook his head. Miss Morning, who had followed Alex, approached. I think they're speaking in a different language, she said. I tried to understand it, but admittedly without luck as well. I meant to ask Siggy about it, book on languages. Alex looked puzzled. Languages? You mean not what we speak? Like animal language or something? Mr. Today smiled. When I was a boy, people spoke different languages depending on where they lived. They may still do so. I don't know. I hope to find out. Alex looked back at the ship. So what is it for? Did you make it? No, I didn't actually make this. It washed up on the beach one day a few years ago. Does that sound accurate, Claire? Miss Morning pressed her lips together, thinking. Yes, not more than five years ago, for sure. Mr. Today went on. There were two pirates inside, but they were already dead. There was nothing any of us could do to save them. They wore the strangest things around their necks. Mr. Today trailed off, remembering. But how did you get it up here in the Museum of Large? He liked the name, though he didn't know really what the museum was other than this. Mr. Today snapped back to the present. What? Oh, just magic, he said. The transport spell. Do you know it? Alex shook his head. No component necessary. Just envision the item in the place you wanted to go. Like this. He pulled a candy platypot from his robe, plucked a tiny piece of lint off it, closed his eyes and whispered, Transport. The candy disappeared, and a moment later, Alex felt something in his hand. He grinned and looked at the bright yellow candy, blew on it, and then popped the tasty chewing to his mouth. Cool, he said. The candy in his mouth said a muffled, Cool, cool, cool. It doesn't work with humans or living creatures, only objects, Mr. Today added. Small things transport quite perfectly, but large things can be quite tricky to place properly. So if you're very particular about the way you want something big to end up, you're better off moving it yourself. Why did you put the ship up here? I was afraid our creatures would get hurt or trapped if I left it on the beach, and it was tremendous eyesore. It was such a rotted mess. I was sure it could be saved, but I fixed it up now, good as new. This is where I do a lot of my thinking. This morning nodded. I remember when this washed up. It wasn't terrible shape. You've done so much with it. Are you planning to take this on your journey? I assume you'd use the white boat. I've thought about it, Mr. Today said. With a little magic, I could handle this ship on my own. I'd have to change out the pirate flags for something more friendly looking, of course. Alex knew a little about pirates from Mr. Appleblossom, who had a single-handedly performed, in double time, all the major roles of pirate musical during Actor Studio several weeks before. I think you would make a great pirate, Alex said. Why, thank you, Alex, Mr. Today said, and then his eyes opened wide as if he just thought of something. Have you noticed the whale yet? Where? Alex looked all around. On the other side of the ship. Mr. Today ushered Alex toward the ship to where the skeleton of a whale stood on display, put together perfectly. This is also not of my own creation. It's a real whale that landed on the beach, just stuck many, many years ago when I was alone here. I couldn't use transport magic to get back into the water, because, like I said, that spell doesn't work on living creatures. Frantic, I tried everything I could think of to no avail. 
Mr. Today said with a smile. I guess magicians can't fix everything, at least this one couldn't, especially back in the early days. He scratched his head. I might have been able to do something if it happened now, though my healing spells still aren't very strong. Healing has never been one of my gifts. His voice was sad as he looked over the skeleton. I stayed with it until the end. It was a hard moment, and it remains a difficult memory. I felt very helpless, and I'd like to think the whale didn't blame me. He walked around to the mouth of the skeleton. So very sorry about that, he said in a soft voice, as if the whale could hear him. Alex thought sensitive Mr. Day's feelings couldn't stop his eyes from wandering. He stared hard through the whale skeleton at something strange on the other side. What's that? he asked, pointing. He ran around to the other side and saw a giant jagged piece of lightweight material with some yellow lettering on the side. There was a fan-like object attached to the front of it. Mr. Today followed. Oh, this! It came out of the sky one day, he said, a smile playing at his lips. Alex stared at Mr. Today. From the sky? Weird. Yes, it was very strange. It started out much larger, so I'm told. Jim saw it, as did Simber and a few others. It fell into the water quite far from the ocean. This piece washed ashore a day or two later. Alex looked at Mr. Today, but he had no words to express his wonderment at all the unusual things this room contained. He looked around at everything. The enormous library, the ship, the Mastodon statue, the whale skeleton, and the countless other things yet to be explored. And he asked politely as he knew. Mr. Today, why do you keep all this amazing stuff locked up in here? Don't you think others would like to see it? Mr. Today smiled and thought a moment before answering. It seems a bit selfish of me, doesn't it? Indeed it does. But these things are either too breakable or too big to display elsewhere. Or they are my personal treasures. These items make up my existence, Alex. Much of my life was spent alone, and these things are witnesses to it. The library tells my story. The Mastodon, my mistakes. The ship, my discoveries. And my abilities to make old things new without magic. And the whale, my limitations, I suppose. He pressed a finger to his lips. There are many other things in here, but perhaps we've seen enough for today. Mr. Today motioned toward the door and the three began walking. I wanted you to see this for a reason. If while I'm away you need to know something about my past, please do check the library here. You'll find history, magic, and mistakes galore. Do you remember the spell to get in? Alex thought back. Door number one? He asked. That's correct, and I needn't remind you to keep that to yourself. These things are precious to me. They are my treasures. I know you'll protect them and care for them, won't you? Alex nodded vehemently as they exited the room and pulled the door closed. I'll protect them with my life, he said, and he meant it.